Well, welcome back. Aren't you excited? I, I am. I we had a, a study this morning, of course, and it was so exciting, and it's just as exciting tonight. All right, so I know you hate these, but I do. I'm going to give you little tips each week about your face masks. Okay. Now I found out that you don't want to put these on with morning breath. You know why? <laughs> You know why you don't? Because you smell your own breath. So don't do that. Also, we do need to wear them here in the sanctuary unless you have a medical excuse for that, okay, of which we have a couple here. So just we want to follow the guidelines. We don't want L.A. County to walk in and, and uh, cite us and close us down after just one study, right? So anyway, um, I think that's about it. Oh, and of course, kids are welcome. And if you're from the same family, uh, you can sit together. If you're from the same household, that is, and you've been hanging out with them the whole time, you can sit together. So don't feel like you have to you know, be separated from your kids or something. But if you are a mom and you're having trouble finding childcare because we can't have children's ministry yet, then please feel free to bring your children. Just for temporary, right? So I know you might not be able to focus because your kids, you know, are, are struggling and distracted, but anyway. So we haven't been together since March 10th. I know, right? All right, so I want to recap just a little bit on what we have learned about Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah so far. So we found out that Nehemiah was a Jew, born as a slave in Babylon. He was a cupbearer for the king. I still have gum in my mouth. I can't believe it. Hold on. <laughs> I did. I swallowed it. Okay. Um, I know. Gross. It'll be there for seven years. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's not true. I happen to know that's not true. Okay, so anyway, um, he was a cupbearer for the king. Uh, he was obviously an Israelite, and he had found out that the walls of Jerusalem and much of the, the city was in ruins, and he was so grieved by that. So he went before the king, and he says, my city is in ruins. Can I go and inspect it? And the king was... Uh, very excited for him and said, not only can you go and inspect it, I'll pay for all the, the materials you need. And so he goes to Jerusalem and he begins to rebuild. And of course he has a bunch of naysayers saying it can't be done. And there was even death threats and troublemakers and that kind of thing. So uh, he, he got it done regardless because God's favor was upon him. And they finished it in 52 days, which is like, unheard of, but they did anyway. And so now catching up to the study right before we had to uh, end our study, uh, we learned about God's attributes. But before we get into that, let's open in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we are so blessed and excited to finally get together with our sisters uh, that you have joined together in you with your Holy Spirit, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to learn from you, your word, and the worship, everything, Lord. Uh, we're just so thankful that we can come together, and thank you so much for orchestrating that for us. 
And as we go through this amazing book, as we continue uh, the story of Nehemiah, would you just speak into our hearts so that we can just pull out every little nugget that you might want us to learn about you and your word. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We invite you here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our last study on March 10th, we learned about God's attributes. So what had happened is after the wall had gotten built, the people started looking into all the laws that the Lord had put down, and they're going, oh my goodness, we've been blowing it this whole time. We have been uh, transgressing God's law. And they had constantly disobeyed time and time again. And that is why they were captured by all their enemies and they were now enslaved by them. And all through that story, we learned that God was always there to bail them out. And I love that because he's always there to bail us out, isn't he? But this told us so much about him. It told us about his mercy, uh, compassion, you know, towards uh, us, you know, that we didn't have to be, he didn't have to give us mercy, but he did because he loves us. But Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, gives us a, a glimpse of who he is. He says, but God is so rich in mercy, so rich, I love that. That means he has an abundance of mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's how much mercy he has. That is why he was able to forgive and show mercy to the, the children of Israel time and time again, even though they kept transgressing all of his laws. He said, don't do that. If you do that, I'm going to allow you to get conquered again. And what would they do? They would repent for a while, and then they would get uh, kind of lazy and then fall back into uh, sinful practices, and then God would allow them to be uh, enslaved again. I mean, this was like a repeated pattern for these guys, and they just never seemed to get it. But God was so rich in mercy. And we also learned about how much he loved them I mean, this is God's undying affection for us, not just the children of Israel. He loves everybody like this. 1 John 4, 9 tells us, In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So God's love has made it possible for us to live the life that he has planned for us. We also learn from 1 John that love is God's main attribute. It says God is love. That's who he is. God is also so patient, and I'm very, very thankful that he is patient because I tend to need it. Um, but what that means is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. All right, so... Show of hands, how many have blown the patient one in these last three months? Oh, come on. Be, be honest. I mean, you're standing in those ridiculous lines at the grocery store, and it's like, really? Six feet apart? Uh, I got scolded the other day. I was in Vons, and I, <laughs> I actually, I, I was supposed to stop at the entrance to the line. There was nobody in line, right? 
and because it was like really early in the morning, and I didn't even think about it. And of course, there was a sign. I had to go back and look later, saying I didn't see a sign. But anyway, it does say, "Please wait here, and somebody will tell you what uh, uh, check checker to go to." And I just walked right in, and yeah, she she let me have it. You know, you're supposed to wait for me, and I will direct you. I was like, "Oh, oh goodness, okay." Um, <laughs> But I didn't enjoy that. I kind of got a little, you know, uppity. It's like, oh, how dare she? Doesn't she know I'm the customer? The customer's always right. But, you know, we all have been lapsing a little bit in our, in our patience with everything that's been going on. But you know what? God is always so patient. He doesn't have those lapses in, in patience like we do. So anyway, he has a lot of patience. Second Peter 3.9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's why he's so patient. He's waiting for us to repent. I love that. He says, I don't want to have to spank you guys, but I will if I have to, because it's for your own good. Isn't that what we tell ourselves when we have to punish our children? This is, this is going to hurt you more, I mean, hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, right? But it really does, you know, when we have to punish them, whether it's, you know, taking away their phones or something like that. I mean, it's hard for a parent sometimes, but we do it for their own good. Same thing with God. God is always faithful. He remains loyal and steadfast all the time. Deuteronomy 7.9 tells us, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. I love that. He's also very just. And just actually means acting or being in conformity with what is morally right or good. That's God all the time. He is always just. He's never not just. So we can always depend on him. If, if you're struggling with uh, something or someone, always know that in the end, God is just. God will take care of it. Remember, he said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Philippians 3.8 tells it like this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. See, we are justified through Jesus Christ. We are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. And because he is always just, he will see us through Jesus. When he looks at us, he doesn't see the ugly that's in our heart. He sees Jesus' heart because he stands in the gap for us. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. So, now the people once again promise to live according to God's laws so much that they now want to 
put it into writing. And so this week, they are going to write a covenant and sign it and promise God that they're never going to fall back into sin ever again. So, Nehemiah 10, we're going to start with verse 1. And it says, the document was ratified and sealed with the following names. The governor, who now Nehemiah is the governor, son of Halkilah, which I can never pronounce those, and also Zedekiah. So what is this document? Well, a covenant is like a contract. They are going to write it out that we are going to do these things, and then they're going to sign it. So... This is important. It's a contract between two people. In this case, it is a contract between God and the Jewish people. And after they acknowledged God's law and acknowledged that they had broken the law, they now wanted to make a new promise to God that they will always keep his law. And it's very much like a couple that gets married. When they take their vow, it is before God. It's not just between the husband and wife. It's also between God, the husband, and the wife. So God takes that vow very seriously. But that's kind of what that is. You're taking a vow before God that you are going to do something. And so the Jewish people are promising and sealing it with a signature. And they give a whole list of people who have signed it. And they're basically priests and Levites. And that goes all the way down to uh, verse 27. And you know me, I'm going to butcher every single name. So I'm not going to read them out. But trust me, they are there. They are very important, though to the Jewish people, because they can go all the way back. Their genealogies, I mean, are amazing. And these kind of names are very important. They just love to look at all the names, because they can pick out their ancestors. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to read them, because it would take me like 20 minutes, and I would mispronounce every single one. So, continuing on, verse 28 says, then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers and singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who were old enough to understand. So we're talking a little tiny. You know, if they understood what they were doing, they, they also joined in this. They joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves. Listen to that. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. Now, I want you to remember that because you won't believe this, but by lesson 20, they've fallen back already. So anyway, just keep, kind of keep that in your mind. But they solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. So in other words, they got uh, representatives because there was 3,000 of them. They couldn't all be crowded in there and trying to sign this document. And so more than likely, in their little area, they would have a priest that would say, do you agree? Yes. Do, you know, And they would kind of check off these people, and then the priest would sign for them. Not to mention not all of them could read or write. And so uh, the, everybody agreed inside this document. But in order to really understand what they were saying and what they were signing, 
we have to go back to the original law. And if you wouldn't mind, turn to Deuteronomy 7, verse 2. And we're going to look at the history of what the, 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 the law that God had told them. And we're going to pick up in verse 2, and it says, And when the Lord your God hands these nations over to you, and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them, make no treaties with them, and show them no mercy. So a lot of people will look at this, and we have people today that say, okay, they say that God's a God of love, and yet he's saying to show no mercy. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, these people were evil people. They were like a cancer in the land of Canaan. And they would worship so many different gods. They had like a thousand, of which some of them were really evil practices. Uh, one in particular, particular, excuse me, was Molech. And what the people would do is they would offer up their babies on a fiery hand of Moloch and kill them. And so God said, I don't want this infiltrating the people of Israel, so I want you to have no mercy on them. Then verse 3 says, you must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. So even now, today, God says in his word, do not be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. Why is that? Because they always, an unbeliever will drag you down. So uh, if, if you're a single woman, you should be looking at only Christian guys. If you're a Christian woman, okay? Only look at Christian guys. Now, if you're already married and your husband's an unbeliever, this doesn't apply to you because God actually says, stay with him in hopes of, of saving them through your, your countenance. But in this case, they were actually offering their sons and daughters to pagan people, and they were kind of blending and merging with these people. So it says here in verse 4, it tells you why. For they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. And that's exactly what happened. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and he will quickly destroy you. That's exactly what happened, because what did they do? They married outside the Jewish faith. They married the pagan people, the, the Canaanites, and all the other ites that were out there. So goes on to say in verse 5, this is what you must do. You must break down the pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols. In other words, have nothing to do with the pagan worship. Verse 6, for you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Don't you like that? I love that. Special treasure. We are his special treasure. Then verse 7 says, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and was keeping an oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Understand, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So as you read this, understand that he's saying, don't do this. And if you don't do this, you know, he's saying, you know, he's given his, his laws. You're not to, to, to marry pagan people. You're not to worship pagan gods. And if you, if you obey me, then you have a lot of blessings here. He will love them and bless them. Then verse 10, but he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must, must obey these commands, decrees, and regulations I am giving you today. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you, and he will give you many children. He will give fertility to your land and your animals. When you arrive in the land, he swore to give your ancestors. You will have large harvests of grain, new wine, and olive oil, and great herds of cattle, sheep, and goats. You will be blessed above all the nations of the earth. None of your men or women will be childless, and all your livestock will bear young. And the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all your enemies. Wow, that's an amazing promise, isn't it? Did you see, if they follow his law, they get all of this. So you might be asking, oh my goodness, why would they not follow God's law? Because we're human. We're no different than the Israelites. Doesn't God have a lot of things, even in the Old Testament, that says, don't do this because if you do that, then you're going to have trouble. Well, that's exactly what the Israelites do, and we're no different. But I love this promise. And what they did is they did follow after pagan gods. They did give their children to marry pagan people. And what happened? God let them be conquered by the Babylonians. And that's where they find themselves at this point in their history. But they recognized that they had sinned against God, so now they are producing this new covenant with God. So let's look at what they agreed to. Verse 30, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not let our sons marry their daughters. Good choice. Uh, this was one of the main reasons why they got in trouble in the first place. They allowed the children to marry non-Jewish people, which God specifically told them not to do in the scripture we just read. Why was that? Well, number one, to keep their race pure, but also because immediately when you marry a non-believer, they begin to pull you down. You have like this weight on you. You're constantly having this battle in your home because your spouse doesn't want you to go to church, but you want to go. And that's why God says, don't be unequally yoked. You know, I say don't marry an unbeliever for a reason because it will just cause you so much sorrow. Again, if you were saved after and your husband is not saved yet, just be that best godly wife so you'll win him over, amen? 
So, verse 31, we also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grace to be sold on the Sabbath or on any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we will let our land rest, and we will cancel all debts owed to us. So again, they are promising to obey the, gods, the, the laws that God had set down. Uh, the first one was the Ten Commandments, and that was keep the Sabbath. In fact, uh, they always try to stretch it. Even today, the Jewish people try to stretch the, that day of Sabbath. Now, they will keep it themselves, but they have no problem with allowing the Arabs that work in the hotel system to serve them. But God said, no, nobody serves on the Sabbath, and that means your servants also. And so, you know, they like to stretch things even today. But back then, apparently, this was running rampant. They were having people work all the time. And so he's saying, I don't want you to do that. And so here they recognize that they had transgressed that, and they're saying, okay, uh, we won't do that anymore. And then they say uh, that we will no longer keep planting crops year after year after year after year. Now, it's actually been uh, proven that if you do not rest the soil every seven years, then it will lose all the nutrients. Today, we can get by with not giving it a rest, although some farmers still do. But we can put like nutrients back in the soil with fertilizers and things like that. But they didn't know how to do that back then. And so God said, I want you to give the land a rest. That way, the next time, your crop's going to be so much more fruitful because you now have the, the nutrients reestablished inside the soil. Um, also, they weren't canceling the debts after seven years. It's part of the Jewish law that if somebody owes you money and they haven't paid it after seven years because they couldn't pay it fast enough, they're supposed to forgive that debt every seven years. That's kind of a cool law, isn't it? You know, for those of you who have 30-year mortgages, wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> just kidding. Okay, I don't want anybody to say, okay, my pastor's wife said that I didn't have to pay my mortgage payment. After seven years, you got to give me a break. Um, no, that's not what I'm saying here. This is according to Jewish law, okay? But apparently, they weren't doing that. They were still demanding payment after the year of Jubilee. That's what it's called. And so anyway, continuing on 32. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. So this is not a tithe, but each person promised to give a third shekel to the care of the temple. Apparently they had been neglecting the house of the Lord, which makes perfect sense. I mean, they were disobeying so many other laws. It stands to reason that they're going to be uh, disobeying, you know, and neglecting the church because, you know, the church is like this. Okay, that really convicts me. When I look at the temple, I know I should be doing something different, but, you know, I'm going to pretend it's not there. We see people doing that to church today, right? You know, they don't want to, oh, I don't want to go to church because then I'll feel guilty. Kind of the same thing. So now they recognize what needs to be done with the offering. Verse 33, this will provide for the bread of the presence, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, the new moon celebrations, and the annual festivals, for the holy offerings and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. 
It will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of our God. We have cast sacred lots to determine when, at regular times each year, the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. So basically what's happening here is they promise to take care of God's house. You know, we kind of look at it as people donating uh, food for our, our food bank here at the church because we've been going through a lot of groceries lately, um, providing groceries for people that are coming upon hard times during the, this pandemic. But it's kind of the same thing. You know, they want to have things taken care of. They want the priests taken care of. And a lot of these feasts and festivals, these were put in place by God so that it reminds the people of an event in history where God was faithful to them. They were like uh, to remember God's faithfulness to them. That's why these feasts and festivals were so important. It's just so that they can't, you know, it wasn't so they can have this big party, but that they remember what happened on that day. So verse 36 we agree to give God our oldest sons and firstborn of, of our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present them with the priest who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our rural towns. Now, you might be saying, wow, that sounds like a lot. But if they're doing what God asked them to do, you remember the, the blessing? He says, I will make everything you do fruitful. You'll have better, uh, bigger herds. You will have bigger fields. You will have bigger trees. You'll have larger grapes. I mean, you'll have all these things. So giving a tenth to the church is not a big deal. He says, do it my way, and all that abundance, I want you to look after the less fortunate. And so they would put it in the storerooms for such a time as a famine or you know, a drought or something like that. We saw that example with Joseph in, in Egypt. You remember, he knew there was a famine coming. So he, he stored a lot of grain so that all of Egypt could, including his brothers, could be fed during the famine. You see, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's important uh, to, to do the things that God has asked them to do. And then they remembered that they promised all these things to God and that they should obey his laws. And if they do, he will love, you know, all these wonderful promises. He will love you. He will bless you. Uh, he will give you many children. He will give you a large harvest of grain, new wine. He will give you great herds of cattle, sheep, and goats. I, it is mind-boggling to me why they would go against God's law when he, they had all of this promise to them. He will even protect them from sickness. No one will be childless. He will bless them above all other nations. Take care of the temple, and you get all of this. I think that's a pretty good trait, right? 
And then in the end, it says, in verse 38, a priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes, and a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites in the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people in the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. So the people promised all these things to the Lord because they'd recognized that they had really fallen short and they had greatly neglected not only the temple, but God's laws. So what is our lesson for today? God's covenant to believers today. Because we are his chosen people. Because we've now been grafted in to the vine. So we are his chosen people. And in looking at what First Peter says regarding that, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about us, his own special people. We're all special. I like that. So whenever you get down on yourself, read this verse. You are special to God. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So look closely at what it says. We are now chosen. Our purpose is to proclaim him to the rest of the world. That's what it means. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we can proclaim him to the rest of the world. You see, that was actually the job of the Jewish people, too. God chose them to be his representatives to the rest of the world. But they just kind of got a little haughty about it, thinking that they were special just because they're really cool. You see how that works? And we're not to do that either. We don't want to go down the same path that the Jewish people did and thinking that God chose us, we are special, therefore you have to look at us like we're special, when in fact... They were supposed to be a, a representative of God's love to the rest of the world. They didn't do that at all. They weren't supposed to be in the world, but they were supposed to minister to the world and show his love to them. Likewise, we are to do the same thing. We are to proclaim him to the rest of the world. Let's look at some really cool promises or covenants that God has made with us that can impact our lives but have conditions to the promises. Also note that just like the Jewish people, if we obey them, then that promise has been activated. Romans 8.28, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's an important one for today, isn't it? You might be thinking, how is all of this working out for good? I have no idea. But I know God has a plan in it. He always has a plan. 
But what does this promise really mean? Well, number one, it's for believers only. It's clearly stated that it says to those who are called according to his purpose. Unbeliever, um, excuse me, I'm getting tongue-tied here. Unbelievers do not care about the purposes of God. Also, the substance for this promise is that everything will work out if we are called according to his purpose. If we are doing his work, we're doing what he has called us to do, then everything's going to work out. may not be the way you want it to work out, but it will work out because you are doing God's work. It's his business. Whatever happens during this pandemic, it's his business. He's the one that's, he can, he can end it today. For some reason, in his great wisdom and sovereignty, he's decided not to. So we still have some lessons to learn. I personally pray that we will learn them quickly, but, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, that's, that's just me, and I, and I trust God. But we don't have to worry because, you know, he loves us. He created us, and he knows what we need to be fulfilled. Amen? And it's important to note that in order for us to rest in this promise, we must obey his purpose for which he has called us. Another wonderful promise, John fifteen seven says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Of course, this has been so used out of context because people will say, hey, it says right here, ask what I desire and it shall be done for me. That's what it says right here. But they always forget the first part. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what does that mean? That means that we are obeying God's word. So we have the mind and heart of Jesus Christ. When we do that, then whatever we ask is going to be what Jesus wants. You see how that works? Because we are listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is influencing our lives, what we ask will be something that God wants for us. But it means to abide in him or accept or act in accordance with his rules, his decisions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. See, God's word says we are to live moderately or temperate as a believer. So the other day, uh, last Thursday, Jeff and I, uh, after the study, we were driving out to Palm Desert where our son lives, and we were going to have a little Father's Day uh, get-together and celebration. And we always seemed uh, to have beautiful cars fly by us on the way to Palm Springs where, you know, they have Ferraris, you know, every corner kind of thing. But uh, this particular one was like one of the droolers, you know? Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Um, it's a Lamborghini, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, wouldn't that be nice to have a Lamborghini? But then I go, oh, it says here that I got to live moderate in all things. And what that means is I'm not supposed to be, you know, driving around in a Lamborghini. You know, my Subaru will do just fine. But, you know, can you imagine if I showed up in a Lamborghini and I parked it out front? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it wouldn't go very well, would it? So anyway, we're supposed to be moderate in all things. So obviously, this is not God's will for me. It isn't. Not to mention about 
the, the cost of the crazy thing. I mean, it's $450,000, that's the strippy. Um, but then there's the maintenance, you know, you need a new set of tires, depending on how fast you drive. And if I had this thing, I'd be putting a new t set on every year. Um, but they would cost a couple thousand dollars. An oil change alone, a thousand dollars. You're not going to Jiffy Lube here. Um, <laughs> regular service, okay, you want to go have a tune-up, $5,000. Okay, so yeah, obviously this is not God's will for my life. So it would be stupid for me to ask because I'm not abiding in what he wants for me. So he's saying, abide in me, follow after me, do what my word says, and then that promise is activated. A companion to that promise is found in 1 John 5.14. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So desire only his will for your life, and he will hear your prayer and he will answer it. Let's look at one more promise, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is the action here? It says, Come to him. Who, of course, Jesus. But what does that mean? Let him be Lord of your life. Do what the Bible says. Don't follow anything or anyone else. And what will that result be? You will find rest. We all want rest. We all want peace. And that is what the promise is. Turn your life over to him. Surrender lordship over to him. But this is really hard. I'm, I'm not taking this lightly. This is hard to do, isn't it? Relinquish control. It's really hard to do. So, but he says, if you do that, guess what the promise is? You will find peace. You will find rest. And isn't that what we all want? So if you find that you are weary in your Christian walk, perhaps look who's actually Lord. Are you actually following after the Lord, or are you kind of doing your own thing? Because then we get stressed out, because God loves us, and he says, I got the perfect plan, and it ain't what you're doing, girlfriend. So, he <laughs> But it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we just strive. We do. We strive so much, and it's because we're doing something outside of God's will. So in wrapping up, God's nature is love, and his love is with a lasting, eternal, amazing love that will never change. And because he loves us, he only wants us, he only wants the best for us. And he uses that positive reinforcement to exhort us to obey his word. Just like the Israel, Israelites, excuse me. He says, you do this and you will have blessing. Likewise, he's saying, do this, do what my word says, and you will have blessing too. All he's asking is for you to obey his word, which is all for our own good. He doesn't do it just because he wants to be mean and ruin our fun. He does it because he knows things can destroy us. And so he's giving us an insight into, okay, this is not good, and I'm going to tell you not to do it because this can destroy your life. 
but oftentimes we'll still want to do it. And then our life goes sideways, and he goes, see, I told you I didn't want you to do that in the first place. So just keep that in mind. Never choose to disobey. But God has given us wonderful promises, and his word is full of them. And if you have been going against God's word, thankfully, God is merciful, and he loves you, and he pours out his grace upon us, and all we have to do is just turn from it, ask for forgiveness, and turn away from it. And that's it. Your relationship with the Lord is restored. That's all you have to do. That's the promise. And if you do that, he will always forgive you. And I'll leave you with a wonderful psalm. It's found in 103, verses 8 through 18. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassions to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As a as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes, flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, and we've gone through a lot of your word tonight, Lord, and it never returns void, and I would ask that if this is spoken into the heart and mind of anybody in this room, Lord, would you uh, just even now speak into their lives, Lord, if they need to change Lord, would you impress upon them the desire to change and to follow after you? Lord, none of us like to get uh, chastened by you because we're going the wrong way, but I, for one, am thankful for those chastenings that you have given me in my, in my life and, and the fruit of those chastenings when I have turned away, and I am so thankful that you were loving enough to do that for me. And so I would ask that for all the ladies in this room, that they would keep their eyes focused on you, that they would have a hunger for your word and to know uh, all the many blessings that are there in your word. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you have done for us. Even though it might be a difficult time right now, Lord, help us to focus on the good things, not on the bad things. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.